electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. And we'll thank you very much. In for Melissa Lee, I'm Tyler Matheson, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan. Welcome one and all. Glad you can be with us from such lovely settings, each of you. Uh, tonight on Fast, a regime change for stocks. That is what Wells Fargo's Chris Harvey predicts as we head into 2021. He'll tell us what he means and the names he is betting on. Plus, Palantir pops. That stock up 21% today alone, and we will tell you the big headline that drove those gains. And we're all over the after-hours action in shares of Toll Brothers and Stitch Fix. Both stocks are moving after reporting results. We'll break down the trades straight ahead. But we start with a little bit of target practice, folks. Wall Street analysts are breaking, uh, their, breaking out their crystal balls and looking into next year. More and more firms putting out their 2021 S&P forecast, it is quite a range. There you see Citigroup on the low end, 3,800. That's just 3% higher than where we are right now on the S&P. And at the other end, J.P. Morgan, 4,500. That's about 20% upside. So, folks, as we gear up for next year, which camp are you in, Guy? Are you at the low end, 3,800, or closer to J.P. Morgan? Nice well, I'll tell you what, and I'm in. I'm in. I love Tyler Matheson. It's nice to see you. You're the man. Thanks for being here, Tyler. <laughs> and what was that, Tyler? What was that show? Um, Boldly go where no man's going. What was that show? Not Star, Star Trek. Trek. That was you Star Trek, that? right? Yeah. Can no, I, I wasn't never into Star yeah. Trek really, but that's okay. No, nor, nor was I. And chauvinism notwithstanding, I, I'll mention why I'm saying that because today, for the first time in history. Global markets exceeded $100 trillion of market cap, and that is now 115% of global GDP. And, oh, by the way, S&P 500 is now about 180% of U.S. Uh, GDP, which are just ridiculous numbers. So I understand why the market's going higher. I get it, but I would be in the low end of that camp, Tyler Matheson. The low end, closer to city. How about you, Tim? Definitely in the Tyler Matheson buy camp. I think if you look at, tell me where the Fed's going to be in terms of their language. I don't think they're going to do a whole lot with rates, but they may start to guide at some point in 2021. And that's, that's where the market's going to be. I, I think we're going to be in the upper end of the range. I do think you have a dynamic here. Uh, the whole reason we have these equity to, 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 to global GDP ratios guys referring to is because every central bank in the world has pushed you out the risk curve. Uh, that, the minute that that changes, I don't want to be anywhere close by. Uh, but in the short to medium term, we have a, a COVID health scare dynamic uh, that pervades the world. It certainly is in this country. We're arguably peaking. Uh, and maybe we're going a bit higher. But the point is, there's very little room for central banks to change. And, and I think that dynamic, along with normalized earnings being somewhere out in 2022, will give a lot of street analysts the ability to upgrade. You don't want to be anywhere near, uh, I think, markets, not only when the central banks step back, but when we finally get to that normalized earnings profile, because I think that will have more than been priced in and equities will be very, very expensive at that point. Dan, Nathan, last time I saw you, we were in Scott Wapner's backyard and you had your dog with you. 
And I can't remember the case. Is it a multi-poo? What is it? What kind of dog is it? Yeah, multi-poo. And multi-poo. And I'm going to give you a multifaceted answer here, Tyler. I mean, you know, it's interesting that investors are obviously fairly optimistic right now. They are looking past the worst of this coronavirus that we have raging across our country and the planet for that matter. Obviously, what's going on right now is a lot worse at the heights when we literally started to shock down, uh, shut down the economy back in March and April. And they're looking towards, obviously, these vaccines. I I guess it just would be too easy to think that these vaccines are going to come in in, in the sort of um, numbers and and, and with the just kind of the ease that we're expecting to get to Tim's normalized earnings in 2022 in just a line that goes like that. If you look at the S&P 500 up nearly 15 percent on the year, you look at the Nasdaq up 40 percent, you look at the Russell 2000 up 25 percent in a little more than a month. And you say to yourself, we're discounting an awful lot of good news. So I look at the S&P 500 trading at about 22 times forward earnings. That's above the five-year average of about 17 and a half, the 10-year average about 15 and a half. And you really need to see that E come up to get to um, you know, a, a valuation um, setup that really looks appetizing and looks good for double-digit returns. So I would expect some early 2000 and 2021 volatility retesting maybe some of that 3,400, and then you get that push, that 20% push up to 4,000 and some of those targets up there once we have more clarity on the vaccines and what that means for the global economy. So uh, maybe some rough spots early and then uh, a move toward 4,000. Karen, bring us home. What do you think? Well, it was sort of interesting. Nobody was down, it sounded like, from the numbers you cited about street analysts. So I actually, I'm always optimistic. I am optimistic now. I do think that even if we do see hiccups or something far worse than hiccups in the distribution of the vaccine and how many people take it and how helpful it is, I think that will be a tremendously positive thing for sentiment, even if companies don't yet have the traffic that they need to get back to where they were. I I still think people will be very bullish. I will be bullish. But I think about the portfolio that I have. If I don't think something's going to go up 10 percent, then I kind of really shouldn't own it because there's enough risks in the world that if you can't if you you know, if you think there's downside and you'll have something less than 10 percent upside probably isn't a great risk reward. So that would sort of put me in the camp of at least 10 percent for the market. How do you all react to to two things that that I heard there that were interesting to me? One was Guy's initial a kickoff point about the about the total value of global equities and the total value of the S&P 500 being greater than the GDP. Uh, and, 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 and then, Dan, your point that there's a lot of earnings anticipation built into where stock prices are today. Let's kick that around a little bit. Guy, do you want to you want to lead? Yeah, absolutely, Tyler. And I want to be optimistic as well. And I understand what everybody is saying. And I understand that historically markets do go higher, but it, go- it comes down to you can't get there from here, I guess would be my point. I think that sort of echoes what Dan is saying in so much as maybe we get to 4,500, 4,800 sometime next year. But I don't think you're getting there in a straight line from where we are now. And again, to echo Dan, I think you have to go back and take a look at at least 3,400 on the downside and flush some people out before this thing can make the next leg higher. You know, to think that this market is just going to go unabated to those levels, I think it's foolish. And, oh, by the way, I don't think anybody's saying that here. And I don't think a lot of these analysts that will come on will say that as well. If you look at Citi's note, Tobias is probably low on the street. And, you know, I think he thinks there's some hiccups early on in the first quarter. So 
I just don't think um, it's a straight line to anywhere in the 4,000s from where we are today. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because we're talking about S&P earnings and we're talking about targets on an equity indice. And I think what we're not talking about is what did it take to get here? I know that Tim mentioned uh, monetary policy and that's going to stay very easy for a very long time. But what, what else did it take? It took trillions and trillions of dollars tacked on to this country's deficit just to get equity prices here at a time where hospitalizations and deaths and small businesses going out of business and all this sort of lives and livelihoods. Are, are literally, you know, kind of whatever which way you're looking at, they're either at highs or lows, and it's not particularly good. There's going to be a lot of scar tissue on this economy once we get on the other side of the vaccine. Structurally high unemployment. I know on Friday that 6.7 looked a lot better than people thought, but man, when you take into account all those people who are no longer looking for work or have been disrupted by this pandemic, it's a much higher number. And we know from the global financial crisis, it took years and years to kind of get to a normalized sort of level. So to me, that's another thing as far as the economy that we are not pricing in with equity levels here. It's kind of easy for us to kind of do discounted cash flow analysis and get this valuation level in this and kind of talk to where the S&P 500 is trading. Our economy is going to be feeling, I think, some pretty nasty palpitations for at least the balance of 2021. Karen, you get the last word here. I still come out to be bullish. When I think about what Guy, I, wanna, I, I don't often disagree with Guy, but this notion of the markets being bigger than GDP, if we think of GDP as revenues, there are a lot of things that trade at greater than revenue, the greater than one times revenue, and that's not a, that's not a crazy statistic. It's just that we haven't been there before, and we haven't had rates here either. So putting all that together, I still think it's a recipe for upside in the market. Yeah, it's an interesting way to think about it. Think of, think of GDP as a, as a revenue stream and, 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 and that the stock values are a, are a function of that or a multiple of that. All right, let's uh, bring in our, our first guest, our next guest. Uh, and he says, get ready for regime change for stocks as we head into the new year. He's Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo Securities Head of Equity Strategy. Chris, welcome. Good to have you with us. You've heard the preceding discussion where we were talking about sort of overall S&P levels uh, throughout the, the, uh, the next year. And your call at Wells Fargo is uh, 38.50. So sort of toward the low end of, of what we were talking about there, about a 5% gain from here. What, why do you come to that conclusion and, and what do you see? So, Tyler, where we fall out is we think you should expect uh, mid-single-digit returns for the broader market. But when we look at small caps and we look at risk, we think you should get double-digit returns. If you look at large cap, large caps have performed exceptionally well. Uh, earnings have held up much better. And we just don't see a ton of upside with large cap. But when we look at small caps, numbers have come down dramatically. Valuation is historically attractive on a relative and absolute basis. And you can see real double-digit returns. So for us, it's more about relative value, relative opportunity, than looking at market direction and looking at large caps. Let's talk about regime change. I had one in my marriage. It ended very well, uh, you know, going back a few years. Regime change is not always a bad thing, folks. But, so let's talk about what you mean here uh, when, when you talk about regime change in stocks uh, for 2021. Well, well, sorry to hear about that. Yeah. Um, with, regard to, <laughs> with regard to regime change, what we're talking about is many players have got long duration. They've done well with higher momentum. And, and if you go back to 03 and 09, I find a lot of similarities between now and then. You had a recession. 
people ran for cover. They ran for cover in these momentum stocks, in these long-duration assets and trades. But what's happening is we're on the edge of an early recovery. We're on the edge of a very robust and, I, I think, durable reinflation trade. And so what's going to happen is people are going to shift from hiding to getting more economically sensitive to looking to play offense more often than they have in the past. And typically, when you have that occur, it's a very aggressive move, and it, it happens in a very short period of time. So we don't want to stick around for it. What we want is we want more exposure to smaller caps, more cyclicality, financials, and higher COVID beta plays. Do you, do you then think that the stay-at-home plays, the stocks that have done so well this year, are going to have a relatively less favorable year next year? The Zooms, the That's right. whatever. That, that's exactly right. So there's nothing with a lot of these companies. This is we compare things to 99 and in 99. It was a little bit different valuations for many cases were really off the charts and fundamentals just weren't there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. here. Valuations are pretty high. There's a lot of really good news priced in. And when we look at opportunity, when when we're the marginal investor, we find better opportunity in those smaller caps, in that cyclicality. There's better valuation. And what we think is if you want to make double digit mm -hmm. returns next year, as Karen was saying, you have to start putting on more risk. And that's not your Uber cabs. That's not your momentum names. You want to use these places as a source of funds. Tim, you, you look like you were ready to jump in here with either a thought or a question. Always, always ready to jump <laughs> in, Tyler, and always ready to talk to Chris about this. So, so it, it sounds, though, that when you talk about regime change and you talk about more cyclical stocks and, and banks and even small caps, um, this is a broadening of the market rally, Chris, and this sounds very bullish to me. Um, is, is your outlook, which is somewhat muted, not, you know, you're not negative. Right. Is it a function of just market technicals and the, the sheer weight of these big companies you're talking about? Because I, I love the market we have right now, because frankly, a, a lot of stuff that's more economically sensitive is outperforming. Right. So, so, Tim, I think you hit it on the head. What you should expect is you should expect really big returns, very positive earnings revision, really good relative growth for your smaller cap and your mid cap stock and your average stock. But when you look at your bigger cap or your larger cap stocks, they've really done quite well. And in some cases, they've benefited from this. And it's hard to benefit two and three times. And, and so there's going to be what we say is a rotation, a rotation, a rotation. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with a lot of these larger cap stocks. We just think it's very hard to make um, double digit returns from these things. All right, Chris, thank you very much. We appreciate your, uh, your being with us tonight. As always, have a good rest of the year and we'll see you in 2021. Thank you. Thank you. Guy, any final thoughts here? Yeah, I have a few final thoughts. I mean, I love this whole regime change thing. As you know, there's a regime change going on in the NFC East, Tyler. And as your Washington football clubs goes down in gloriously tonight against the Steelers of Pittsburgh, you'll know what I'm talking about, number one. Number two, I hope you had a nice talk with your son after you outed him on national television about getting striking out three times on some nasty Uncle Charlie's. And number Happily three, he didn't hear you know, it. there's only a matter of time before this, before this dollar that continues to get smacked in the face it's going to, I think, you know, it's a tailwind now for the broader markets. At a certain point, it's a headwind. And I understand 100% what Karen is saying, and I'm with her. The one problem with global GDP is, you know, you have revenue growth in a lot of these companies. You have no revenue growth in terms of GDP. And quite frankly, I think it's going the other way. Back to you, Ty. <laughs> Thank you very much. And we'll, we'll try and smooth things over with my son, Mac. He, uh, 
He, he, he was lucky he didn't see that, as you're, as you're right. We're going to take a quick break here. Uh, you can read all about Wall Street's 2021 forecast on our website, including a new note from Goldman Sachs today. It says the chances of a pullback have increased. Head to CNBC.com slash pro to check it out. And coming up, Palantir, top in the tape today. We'll tell you the big news that sent this one story, soaring. But first, check out the move in Stitch Fix, the stock surging in the after hours on earnings so is it time to sign up for this trade? We'll debate that when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Check out shares of Palantir. It topped the tape today on news of a big deal. Josh Lipton has the details. Hey, Josh. So, Tyler, a new deal for Palantir. CNBC, and let me bring you the details here, can confirm that the company has won a deal with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. This is a three-year deal worth $44.4 million. And it's going to allow the FDA's Center for Drug Evaluation and Research and the Oncology Center of Excellence to use the company's software to integrate and analyze data, specifically helping the agency approve drugs, we're told, including possible COVID-19 treatments. Palantir, Palantir shares shooting higher. It went public in September from its first day of trading it's now up about 200% here. CEO Alex Karp runs Palantir today. He co-founded the company with Peter Thiel, Joe Lonsdale, and others. Remember, it provides data analytics software and services to government agencies like the Department of Defense. It also sells to companies like Airbus and BP. Palantir reported earnings results just last month, raised its revenue growth forecast for 2020 to 44%, totaling $1.07 billion. Tyler, back to you. Josh, thank you very much. Uh, folks, what do we think of Palantir? Tim, do you want to, or do you hold Palantir? Yeah. You own it? Yeah, I'm, I'm long the stock. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and yeah, and I tell you what, first of all, one of the dynamics we should be hearing more about, and it's very clear, data is the new oil. If you think about the world of 20 years ago and the strategic importance, it's all about the power of data. And in terms of uh, large scale software enterprise vendors uh, who have the ability and, 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 and sense of the ecosystem uh, to, to, to dominate here in an AI driven world, I, I think have a major, major advantage. Palantir, um, as we heard in the 
their last earnings report that Josh referenced, uh, 15 new enterprise customers. And yes, we know about the large U.S. Army and naval contracts and, and now the FDA, but uh, they are a standard that I think uh, very few people are going to be able to compete with. And when you have these kinds of clients, this only breeds even more success. So um, software companies trade at, at absurd multiples now is the caveat here. And certainly this, co this company, which came to market and, and kind of traded around and thrashed around, um, has caught fire over the last three weeks to uh, six weeks. Um, therefore, a little scary for a lot of investors. But this theme is something you're going to continue to see. And there's no reason why Palantir isn't at the head of the line. Yeah, Karen, I, I, this was a stock that came out a few months ago, and it really didn't do anything there for several weeks. And then, as Tim just pointed out, if you look at the chart over there, it has it is, it is taken off like, uh, like the Alps. Yeah, it, it really is quite extraordinary. I don't follow it that closely, but I did. So I saw the $44 million contract over three years. So I also saw the $7 billion change in the market cap today, seemingly on the heels of that $44 million contract, which is kind of astounding to me. Um, I know it's overall growth. I hear what Tim's saying. It, it caught fire. Who, fire can trade at any price. <laughs> so I'm not long, but I certainly wouldn't short it. Dan, are you a skeptic here? Well, I, I wasn't, you know, at the direct listing price of 10, you know, and then it went sideways for a few weeks there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the gripe there was that this is a 10-year-old company that on a gap basis is not profitable, coming to market um, in, in a kind of new sort of way with that direct listing, um, but people didn't seem to care. So Karen's point is, is a really good one. Um, a $44 million contract adding $7, 8000000000 billion in market cap um, seems a little ridiculous. Um, and, and that's really has nothing to do with the company. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, but, you know, trading at 47 times sales this year, 35, 36 times next year, with those sales expected to only grow 25%, um, you know, I don't care if you're adding a dozen or two dozen enterprise customers. If they're $45 million contracts over three years, it's going to take you about three decades to grow into that valuation. So with this thing at trading at half the market cap or so of IBM, I'd say that this is a bit of a uh, bubble here. And I'm not telling you the bubble can't continue to inflate. You're seeing this in a lot of other enterprise software companies. But it can't grow to the sky. Um, so ultimately, to be really investable in the long term, you're going to need to see a correction. Tim, quick thought here. I see you shaking your head. Well, I never shake my head at Dan. I mean, the concept that this is just a $44 million FDA contract is wrong. And if anything, part of the buzz here is that this is that puts them right in the center of everything COVID related. This is a company that helped determine toxicity problems in hand sanitizers a few weeks back. It means that they're going to be involved with the FDA hand and glove um, as vaccines get approved. So uh, I, that's part of the buzz right here. And think about all the drug stocks that have rallied around any cor any any involvement in a COVID you know, bring to market cure. And I think uh, that's part of that buzz today. But again, it's the role that they have with, with such strategic and massive clients that makes this a, a bigger headline than the 44 million. All right, folks, thank you. Uh, we are going to take a quick break. But coming up, we've got an earnings double play. Stitch Fix, we mentioned it before. Toll Brothers, you got the clothes, you got the house, you're good. Uh, we got the after hours news on them and we'll bring you the big headlines from those reports. And later, a fast pitch on retail. Does this red-hot stock, this one right here, have more room to run? We'll bring you the name when Fast Money returns. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create. 
like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. We've got a double earnings alert for you on Stitch Fix and Toll Brothers. Our Diana Olick is following the move in Toll Brothers. But let's start with Eric Chemi and a monster move after hours for Stitch Fix. Hi, Eric. Tyler, that's right, a monster move indeed. Stitch Fix soaring after posting a surprise profit. Consensus estimates are actually looking for a loss this quarter, so you can call that a big beat. The company also saw its highest sequential client addition on record with 10% year-over-year growth in active clients. That now amounts to nearly $3.8 million. But with that growth, actually saw a drop in net revenue per active client, sliding 4% from last year. Looking ahead, CEO Katrina Lake says the company expects 20 to 25% growth for the full year. Stitch Fix has also brought in a new CFO from Amazon. They just announced that today. Dan Jetta will join the company after 15 years at Amazon, where he was vice president and CFO for entertainment products, including digital video, along with the advertising and corporate development units. So that's a big hire. Stitch Fix stock up almost 40% for the year, not quite as high as some peers in the online apparel space. Investors clearly, though, liking today's report, the stock up more than 30% after hours. Tyler. 12-point gain after hours. Karen, what do we think about Stitch Fix? I mean, it's nice. It's certainly sort of a, you know, a goal you want to have to actually make money. But to me, the most important thing, well, the hire was very important and good for them on the quarter. But there is a short interest of almost 40%. So a whiff of good news like this, and then, you know, those shorts are just scrambling. So I think that's got to be what a lot of this move, it's an extraordinary move. Um, I see it up, I don't know, $11, $12. So uh, I don't own this one either, and I wouldn't short it as well. Yeah. All right, let's move on and uh, bring in Diana Olick with the news on Toll Brothers. They've got some numbers, Di. Yeah, Tyler, it was a strong beat for luxury builder Toll Brothers on both EPS and revenue in the fourth quarter. But the big headline was signed contracts, up 68% year over year on incredibly strong demand for those large suburban homes. That's the highest quarterly volume in the company's history. The cancellation rate was also significantly lower than normal. CEO Doug Yearly said, we are currently experiencing the strongest housing market I have seen in my 30 years at Toll Brothers, and we continue to increase prices in nearly all of our communities as we focus on driving profitability and managing growth. Now, Yearly attributed the high demand to low mortgage rates and undersupply of existing homes for sale and the, quote, home as sanctuary due to the pandemic. And we've seen it in the sales numbers from the realtors, the high end really outperforming sales of homes priced above 750000 uh, we're up 80% year over year in October, $1 million plus home sales up 102%. 
Now, revenue for the full year did come in slightly lower than 2019, but that's likely due to the brief stall in sales in the spring. Overall, contracts, though, were higher than a year ago. Back to you. All right, Di, thanks very much. Uh, nice shot there in uh, D.C. Let's trade Toll Brothers, folks. I know you all are pretty hot on the housing uh, stocks generally. Guy, what do you think of, uh, of Toll Brothers? Yeah, and they've been, they've been performing very well. I mean, Toll Brothers today flirted with $50, Tyler. But if you go back and look, it had trouble at $50 in October. And obviously, it topped out there in February of this year. And now we're right back down to the 47 and a half level where it started. Uh, we're basically closed on Friday. Great quarter, average contract price now over $800,000. There's nothing not to like here other than the price action. For whatever reason, $50 seems to be a bit of a barrier. If the stock can't close above 50 tomorrow, I think it's telling you something, and it might be in the short-term time to take some profits in these home builder names. Dan? Yeah, I would just say this. We know what kind of recovery we have. Um, some people would call it a V. It, it's a K. And so where does Toll Brothers sell these, these McMansions into? The, the upper right of that K. It's going to continue to do well um, conti when you consider just how well um, you know, white-collar America is doing under the current um, stimulus regime, that sort of thing, and some of the trends that are going on in housing. So this, to me, I actually think a little back and fill and play for a breakout above guys 50 level and back towards that prior high from a couple years ago, just below 55. That's probably the trade. Yeah, you sit and, and you look at what's going on in the suburbs, as, as um, Diana said, mm -hmm. as people move from the from the center cities where maybe they're unloading expensive properties and moving into the higher higher end uh, places out in the suburbs, which is which is tolls sweet spot, sweet spot, Tim. Yeah, and, and some of these properties seem uh, not terribly expensive when you're moving from an urban center. So just to be clear, it's all you know relative. And, and I think some of the pressure, as Dan said, continues to go higher. I think the way you play this trade, though, is through resource stocks and, and, and materials components. We've talked about them. I'm, I'm long Whirlpool as well. But, um, you know, Masco, I think some of the, the, the resource stocks around copper, iron ore, are, are certainly derivative on housing, but more uh, implied to what's going on with this cyclicality and an industrial trade. All right, folks, we are going to take another quick break. And coming up, are you mining for the next big winner? Look no further than the options pits. We'll, we'll talk about that. We'll tell you about the big trade we spotted today on a gold miner. But first, cue the music because we got another fast pitch on deck. Should you add this retail stock to your cart? It's a store. Yes, a store. We'll bring you the name when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It has been our mystery stock. Now it is revealed. It is Ross Stores. I could have given you a hint that, 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 that the mystery stock had a character named after it in Friends. There you go. Up nearly 35% since the start of November. And our next guest thinks there's even more upside to come. Joining us now for a guest fast pitch is Jennifer DeSisto, CIO at Anchor Capital Advisors. Jen, why do you like Ross? I'm very bullish about Ross for a number of reasons. Well, and, take it away. I'm bullish about Ross for a number of reasons. Uh, I think it's a great recovery stock, and it's starting to play out already. Um, they, uh, the Ross customer loves a bargain. They love the treasure hunt experience. And once the store started to reopen at the end of May, they came back and they started buying. And we started to see improve, gradual improvement in same-store sales from quarter to quarter to quarter. 
Uh, we also have seen Ross take market share from the department stores and the specialty retailers over the last five years. And with a number of bankruptcies and store closures in the retail space, we think Ross can continue to win in that space and take more market share. They're also opening new stores, and so we think that's another avenue of growth. We think that there could be up to 3,000 stores in the U.S., up from the 1,900 stores they currently have. And also, with all the bankruptcies and store closures that are happening in the retail space, there's a lot of merchandise available. Um, and the Ross buyers are finding great deals, passing along to their customers, and that's helping their merchandising margins. You know, so we you think there's a great opportunity with Ross. The stock is trading uh, below uh, the other off-price retailers, so we think there's room for it to catch up. Yeah, there, there, it's, it's not as though it is not... A, a space that has doesn't have competitors. I mean, because there's the TJX uh, competition, there's Kohl's, there are others in this space that that sort of compete. I, I, I don't I don't know much about what their merchandise is, but but tell me why they have a, um, a sweet spot here in this space uh, up against a world where department stores that we think are kind of fading away, whether it's Macy's, Bloomingdale's, uh, JCPenney, even Nordstrom, whatever, Dillard's. Yeah, they're, they have a great niche. I mean, I think the off-price segment is really benefiting from the treasure hunt experience. Uh, mm -hmm. Their customers come in a uh, number of times to come in and look at merchandise and buy merchandise. Um, they definitely benefit from that. They've been insulated from e-commerce um, wave, so a lot of retail sales have either migrated to e-commerce or they've migrated to off-price because people really do like to come in and, and find a deal and find um, find some interesting um, merchandise, either apparel, home goods, jewelry, accessories, and they can find all of that in uh, a Ross stores. And Ross is the you know second largest um, next to TJX, so we definitely think that there's room for it to grow. Okay, that, 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 I didn't know they were that they were quite that large. I'm, I'm very familiar with them. I've seen them all, all over the place. Anybody on our panel tonight have a question uh, for for Jen, or or do you want to go straight to the voting? The voting. What do you, Karen? Go ahead. Go ahead, Karen. So are, I'm more familiar with TJX. Are these stores generally mall-based? Are they uh, where are, are they standalone? Where are these stores mostly? They're usually um, in retail shopping centers, much like a TJX is as well. Um, Ross started more on the West Coast and have moved east, whereas TJX and Burlington stores have started on the East Coast and are moving west. Um, so they're kind of they they have. Similar, um, similar merchandise, but they kind of go at different price points in their and targeting customers. All right, Jen, it is the time to vote. I am the official poll watcher here, everybody. I am not bribable. <laughs> I, it's going to be a transparent vote here. Let's start with Dan. Are you buying Jen's pitch on raw stores, yay or nay? Well, I'm going to be really nuanced here. I thought it was a really good pitch, and I'm buying her bullish thesis on the stock, but I'm just not buying it right here at $113. It definitely has underperformed TJX, which broke out of a long six, seven-month range, just like Ross Storage just did, but it's made a new high. For some reason, Ross is kind of 
kind of stuck here in this little range. I think if you have an opportunity to buy this thing near that breakout level, um, right around 100, that's where I would set up for a move into 2021. <laughs> so we're just trying to be a little fast money, be a little trading here. I'm not buying it up here at the top end of this breakout range, but I think you have an but opportunity. Fundament- fundamentally, you like the you pitch that Jen made. You, you, you get the case. You get I do like case. the pitch. I don't love the fact that they want to like, increase their stores 25 30% or something like that. I just don't think that's where we are in America. I think we're pretty <laughs> Overstored. Yeah, I think I we're like overstored too. That was that was. A, that was a, uh, um, Karen, what do you say? Yeah, I like the pitch. I have a buy. I mean, I like TJX. It does a lot of the same things as TJX, and so it would be hard to not like it. And Gee, are you able to read my smart board, Tyler? Can you read that, please? <laughs> Ross is less than Rachel, however. Yes, that's true. That's true. Okay. However, Ross Stores is going to 122. I like her power pitch. If you go to the quarter, the third quarter on November 20th, inventories are down 25% year over year. That augurs well for margins going forward. Just about every analyst that covered the stock, I think, raised their price target somewhere between 120 and 135. I think it goes higher from here. Tim. Tyler, you remember Marion Ross. She was Mrs. Cunningham on Happy Days, and therefore the Fonz would give Jen's pitch a... Thumbs up. Whoa. And, uh, I love I'm the, a buyer. I'm a buyer. The baseballs and Thank thumbs. You. And, and uh, this is really good. <laughs> the traders, Jen, have spoken. You get a chance for a quick rejoinder here if you're still with us. Are you gone? Yeah, I think Ross is a great story. It's, uh, it's a long-term compounder, and we love it in client portfolios. So. Four Definitely, thumbs uh, up, and Tim's was the biggest. Let's talk to uh, our viewers. We're going to put it out there. Uh, are you buying Jen's fast pitch on raw stores? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. That's CNBC Fast Money. We will have the results later in the show. But up next, the Garden State is going green, and one cannabis company is looking to capitalize on the big move. We'll talk to the CEO of TerraSend when Fast Money returns, and I'll tell you what the score of the Washington-Pittsburgh game is as well. graphic, isn't it? Welcome back to Fast Money. The cannabis trade has been very hot recently, but there is one name in the group that has been absolutely blazing higher. Check out the shares of TerraSend. That stock is up more than 370 percent this year alone. TerraSend has medical and recreational marijuana dispensaries in several U.S. states, and the company sees the next big opportunity in the mid-Atlantic. Joining us now is TerraSend CEO Jason Ackerman. Jason, welcome. Good to see you. Let me make sure I understand your business. Do you, are, are, do you sort of go the whole food chain here? You grow, you distribute, you retail? What? That's correct. We call that ver- fully vertical. We, uh, we start with the seed all the way to sale. So we grow uh, cannabis, we package and flower, and then we convert into, into goods like uh, vapes and, uh, and cartridges and, and edibles, as well as have retail uh, and home delivery and e-commerce. So it's full end-to-end. And where are you licensed to grow? In what states? And, and do you have to be in a greenhouse or you can grow out in fields? What? Yeah, currently we're in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, California. Uh, we just uh, purchased a license in Maryland and uh, we grow uh, indoors, uh, either greenhouses or full indoor control where we uh, have all of our plants and our manufacturing. So uh, it is not lost on me uh, that New Jersey has just agreed to um, decriminalize recreational use of marijuana. Let's just say hypothetically, hypothetically, you're a New Jersey resident. 
uh, and you might mm -hmm. be interested in, in partaking of uh, some of the products that you sell. Uh, you have just gotten a licensed dispensary somewhere in New Jersey. I'd love to ha hear, hear where, uh, not, not, not I, but just for Guy mostly is what I'm asking for as a New Jersey resident. Uh, where, where is it and how quickly do you think th that recreational sales will actually start taking place in New Jersey? Uh, sure. So we have uh, three licenses. Our first store has opened in Phillipsburg, uh, which is on the New Jersey-Pennsylvania border. And we have two more stores that are going to open up next year, uh, more on the kind of northern Jersey-New York City border uh, mm. market. Uh, so we did legalize in the state of New Jersey. It was an overwhelming populist vote. Uh, but it will take about six or seven months for the regulations to be written. So you can't walk into a dispensary in New Jersey today without a medical card, which you can get from your from your doctor. Uh, but uh, as a full recreational card, uh, non-card holder, uh, that'll probably take till around June of next year before you can do that. Tim would like to jump in with a question. Yeah. Hey, Jason, thanks for joining us tonight. Um, the, the profitability of being vertical, especially in a state like Pennsylvania, is one of the reasons why your stock trades at, at really a massive premium to, to your peers. And again, profitability for an industry that's been criticized for not being profitable. Talk about that, um, because you guys have been called the beasts of the East and, and you're focused in Pennsylvania, New Jersey and Maryland and possibly other parts of the East Coast at some point. Um, why are you so profitable? Help us understand that. Yeah, so our philosophy has been very much about a mile deep, not a mile wide. So in the states that we play, we want to be the significant player. And so we really go fast with a large amount of scale so we can achieve a level of economy that other players are spreading their capital around. So in Pennsylvania, we have one of the larger facilities in the state. We have roughly a 20 percent share of the uh, branded manufacturer's good. We're distributed in every dispensary in the state itself. And so that level of scale has given us uh, a level of profitability that is, uh, you know, as good as it gets in the industry. And our, our EBITDA margins, you know, are top of class right now because of that. Will the, will the branding, is it, what is the branding of your dispensaries? What will it be? Will it be Terrasend or will it have some other name? Or do you know? Yeah, so we have two, two brand thoughts. Our retail brand is the Apothecarium. Uh, which rooted out from Northern California at the, the beginning of the cannabis movement where the stores began. And we've brought that brand to the East Coast. Uh, and then we have our product brands that are in our stores, as well as distributed uh, throughout uh, the states we operate under the Kind Tree, uh, which is our cannabis brand, uh, Prisms, Valhalla, uh, and Alera Health for our medical-based products. So we've got a range of brands for different customers uh, that are distributed throughout the states. Jason, thank you so much. A fascinating story. It's evolving, uh, and it's uh, it's going to evolve more in 2021. We thank you for your time. Have a good rest of the year. Thanks. We'll see you next Thanks, year. Thanks, you too. Guy, what do you think here? Well, the way to play it, the way I've, and Tim is the expert here, but GW Farmer's been a monster until today. Failed at 138, which was the high back in July. I still think it goes higher, but that concerns me that it failed at that level, number one. Number two, the next time I puff the magic dragon will be the first time, Tyler. And number three, <laughs> now I know what you and Nathan were doing at Wapner's house watching that Sunday football. Just saying. <laughs> we were eating all kinds of very good food. And you know Scott is a very good cook. And uh, we were playing with the multipoo. <laughs> and uh, the Washington football team and the Steelers guy are tied zero to zero right now. Up next, a golden trade in the mining sector. Why one options trader thinks this name is about to shine. And there's still time to vote on our fast pitch. Do you think Ross Stores has more room to run? You can let us know at on Twitter at fast. At, let's, let's start over. At CNBC Fast Money. 
We will reveal the results coming up. Stick with us. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. The GDX Gold Miners ETF jumping today. And there is one name in the space that saw a ton of activity in the options market. Let's go to Mike Coe to tell us which it is and uh, how he's looking at it. Hi, Mike. Hi, Tyler. We were taking a look at Newmont Corporation. This one saw calls outpacing puts by about two and a half to one. And the most active options were the January 65 calls. About 2,800 of those were trading for $1.50. Nice round math means that the buyers of those calls were betting that Newmont will go above that $65 strike price by the $1.50 they paid. That would put it above 66.5 by January expiration, up a little more than 8%. And it wasn't just in that stock, but GDX, which you mentioned, the gold miner ETF, also saw unusual call activity. GLD, the gold ETF, and also in the futures market, the January 1900 calls saw a lot of activity today as well, Tyler. Mike, thank you very much. Karen, how do you trade these miners? Well, I, I mean, I believe in the gold trade, but for me, I actually do it through Bitcoin. It's a similar trade, inflation and uh, fiat currencies going wild. He's the gold trader. Yeah. And so, so you see them as, as kind of a pair then, sort of proxies for one another in a way? Right. Yes. Correlated. Yeah. And sure. and and I see a lot of big names going into Bitcoin, whether it's uh, uh, Tudor Jones or Druckenmiller or a lot of folks doing that. Is that because there is now a level of acceptance in the professional um, investor class for it? Because three years ago, it was mostly uh, dabblers and, and day traders. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a chicken and egg thing, right? You had Visa the other day uh, saying they would give rewards in Bitcoin. You have PayPal, you have Square actually using some of their cash to buy Bitcoin. So if enough people do it, then enough other people feel like, oh, there's other people who do it, I can do it too, without without being seen as like a Yahoo is, you know, yeah. what are you doing in an in a asset yeah. class like Bitcoin? Right. Guy, uh, you know gold? What do you think? I don't, know. I don't know a lot of things. I think gold's going significantly higher. I understand what Karen's saying about Bitcoin. And wasn't it MicroStrategies? I think they just announced a secondary, and they're going to use the proceeds to buy more Bitcoin, which, you know, great. For, that's wonderful as long as it continues to go higher. But to me, gold is going to go higher. I think Newmont goes to 69, which was the high back in July, Tyler. All right, Guy, thank you very much. Uh, there's still time to vote in our Twitter poll. Are you buying the fast pitch on Ross Stores? Head to at CNBC Fast Money on Twitter to weigh in the results when we return. Drum roll. Time to reveal if you at home were buying Jennifer DeSisto's fast pitch on Ross Stores. The four traders here said yes. Sadly, though, it was a strikeout. Goodness, that's just amazing. All right, it's time for the final trade. Let's, let's go. Tim. Tim. I know it's frothy, but I think Palantir is in a unique position. I'm long Palantir. Palantir. Karen. Yeah, housing isn't dead. I like Lowe's. Value, value, value valuation right here. And Dan, you next. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off that with Karen. I think Toll, you play it for a breakout above 50. And Guy, you get the last word. NASDAQ. NASDAQ. All right. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Thanks to you guys very much. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.